0: calling Dick Tracy. Come in, Dick Tracy. A podcast is in progress. Okay, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dick Tracy Minute podcast, folks. This is a podcast recapping 1990s comic book movie extravaganza, Dick Tracy, at the rate of one minute of screen time per one episode of this podcast. And my name's Parker. My name's Michael Kane
1: And if we were in England right now, we'd be having some Spotted Tracy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it used to get you a newspaper. Now it doesn't even get you a page one. Oh, oh, uh, we're on the air. So <laughs> we're at minute five today. We're picking up mid-sentence um, from where we left off last week when Tracy's leaving the theater. So, uh, yeah, Tracy edges his way out of the aisle. Remember edging your way out of the aisle at the movies, Rob?
1: I've I've done a lot of edging in my time, all right, Parker. Um, <laughs> and what, what's particularly funny about this bit is he—you he, can hear him kind of like excusing himself. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Ow. And like at one point he hits his toe off something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've had a lot of those moments over the years. You know, when you're trying to go to the the toilet during a boring scene in the cinema, but you're still. You still feel like you're annoying, you know, half the people in the in the theater. It it is really quite embarrassing. And my favourite thing is there's a lot of background acting in, in this Big minute. Time. And you get that straight away from the um the the sort of irritated patrons in front of Tracy and Tess. They're all kind of turning around. The beautifully mustached man uh really glares at Tracy uh in this in this sort of opening bit here. And and yeah, yeah, it's, he, he it's steps very on somebody too. You hear like. you
0: hear an ow, and Tracy goes, oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think what he might have stepped on. Maybe somebody else stepped on him. Maybe that was the issue.
0: Maybe. I think he stepped on somebody's foot. It would have been a good spot. To, you could have the cat yowling sound effect here. <coughs> the broken pottery from uh, Wet on American Summer, I think, would slot right in. Get Frank Welker some work. Frank,
1: Frank Welker is the guy who always does animal sound effects in, in movies. Um, <laughs> he probably did
0: do the cat. You know, in the opening he always scene. needs a bit of, bit of work. Uh, I think he's doing just fine. Yes, uh, actually,
1: that's <laughs> worth checking out. He's doing okay.
0: So, Tracy it cuts immediately to tracy pulls up this is a really significant moment in the film actually because this is our first look at the full tracy yes and it's iconic. like we met tracy in the last minute and we've just sort of seen an extreme close-up of his profile and he puts on his hat he pulls up to this warehouse uh the big hole in the garage door and steps out of the black and white old-timey police car and we have our first shot of the full coat and hat and it is striking. It's very,
1: very nice. And uh, you get those suicide gold wing doors as he gets out of the car. Very, very beautiful. Forgot to check what kind of car it is, but I'm sure we'll find that out in future weeks because there's a lot of those police cars. Again, I mentioned last week that uh, they swapped out all the, the innards of all these cars to make them have kind of modern mm-hmm. engines and modern handling so that they'd be able to use them for high speed car chases and stuff like that. He looks really, really elegant as he gets out of the car. I always think Dick Tracy's coat, though, uh, this is a movie set in sort of an undefined 1930s year. You instantly know, looking at his coat, just the, the fit of the coat and the kind of shape of the coat, you know straight away that this was a movie that was made in the late 80s or the early 90s. Ah, interesting. I, I, don't, uh, I don't hold that against it. I,
0: I, I love it for that fact. Well, I'm not sure, actually, because the like the revival of the big baggy suits and stuff i think was kind of a 30s thing like the swing revival era the the early 90s you know you have those big zoot suits in the 30s so maybe the big fit is accurate you know it's uh
1: could be absolutely could be like the one thing i forgot to check actually
0: uh sorry go ahead to continue talking no no about, no you know, the no I was literally just thinking of jeff daniels line in looper about like you know the movies you're dressing based on or just copying other movies based on how people dress <laughs> back to you rob Sure thing, Jeff.
1: What I forgot to check was like one thing I noticed going back on a lot of these sort of Dick Tracy comic strips is I don't think he actually wears the yellow coat as often in those comic strips as he does in this movie. It feels like he's more about the sort of black three-piece suit in those comics. It's all about that yellow hat, but in in the, the actual sort of stories, he's not wearing the coat as often now I might be terribly wrong about that but definitely any of the older kind of comics I've seen he's more about this sort of three-piece suit I don't know
0: yeah I'm not sure I, I can always picture I can picture him in the coat on uh the cover of sort of any Tracy media I've seen but in the actual content I'm not sure I know that the wonderful uh action figure series for this film surprisingly Tracy is just he's wearing his uh, his white shirt and his black vest and not the coat and it's that was always kind of odd. You'd think they'd put a little like fabric coat or something in there on him in the film, but it's all the figures kind of had the same mold for the body except for shoulders. And uh, yeah, Tracy. You gets- know,
1: I f- I forgot to mention this last week, Parker. Do you know that what what would have I again? I only discovered those figures much later in my life. I I didn't realize that they existed when I first saw this movie when I was about nine. One of my favorite things about Dick Tracy was that long yellow coat that he had. And if I had known that there was an action figure series featuring a dick tracy figure that doesn't have the coat at all i i just would have i i would i may have turned out a very different man today (laughs) Um, it would have just sort of taken the wind out of my sails I i don't think i would have been as hopeful or as chipper about the world i i actually i wanted to say this in the first the very first week we did this and i forgot to i had a uh bruce wayne undercover undercover bruce wayne figure or something like Mm -hmm. that it was a kenner batman figure from 1997 or 8 and remember that was around the first time that i properly saw the movie dick tracy for the first Mm -hmm. time so it was only about seven or eight years late but um that figure wore a a black three-piece suit with a red tie and a red overcoat so it was almost the same as dick tracy Mm -hmm. except he was wearing a red overcoat instead of a instead of a yellow one. So I'll definitely post a picture on our on our Instagram. And my yeah, other Instagram... Bruce Wayne in a red coat. How do you like that? Yeah, 90s Heroes and Toys is my other Instagram, by the way, if people want to follow that. Oh, it's a great account. But um, yeah, I used to use that as my Dick Tracy figure.
0: Oh, that's it. You were actually, you're having Bruce Wayne play Dick Tracy. What a so crossover. There. He would have needed his own putty nose. Yes, correct. <laughs> now, he didn't have, he didn't
1: have a, a fedora hat, unfortunately, but in every other respect, he looked a lot like Dick
0: Tracy or a sort of, alternate universe code red dick tracy well we're definitely uh, the reverse on that like the the action figures are very much my entry point to this whole film uh my uncle and uh, my cousins they like my uncle had bought the entire figure line for my cousins over the years so we used to play with them constantly and it was it was one of those terrific things we talked about early on, like seeing the film and seeing all these characters from the action figures and seeing which ones have big roles. Like we played with the brow all the time and the rodent and uh they're they're only in the first like ten sec or the they're the third minute of the movie for about ten seconds and that's it. And we got a lot more playtime out of the toys with them than they get in this film. Yeah,
1: and like it's important to note as well, these figures meant a lot to you as a kid and you knew all the names of the of the of the figures or whatever. The, they don't even know who these people are not only are they only in the first minute of the movie the characters don't even know their identities at all they,
0: I, I don't think they ever find out it's never followed up on no because Sam Tracy just sees
1: a guy with a big forehead Sam Katcham says we don't know who they are they took all their identification they left all the money on the table and then we see we mm. see that beautiful message on the wall eat lead Tracy uh that's uh, the, the flat top painted it with a thousand bullets. It looks like each of the bullets had different levels of thickness like a quilt pen. Um, (laughs) I wanted to say as well, obviously I've seen this a million times. One thing I noticed about the message this time, it sort of looks like he wrote it with paintballs instead of with bullets. and It reminded me of the paintball mode cheat in Goldeneye for N64. Oh,
0: cool yeah i guess um, it's the, the brick walls painted yellow right and he's shot you can see like a splash of the brick dust around each shot that's like red so it kind of look has that paintball sort of effect but yeah the big block letters eat lead tracy and
1: and from this uh tracy is able to surmise that obviously the the mastermind of this attack is none other than big boy caprice big boy caprice
0: yeah, well, it's it's interesting to me because we don't know at any point in this film really what sort of history Tracy had with Big Boy uh, beforehand, right? So he sees this message, and so maybe he, it's just that Big Boy's the only boss in town brazen enough to call him out like this, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. You wonder why. It's it's kind of just shorthand for Tracy's just such a good cop. No one else has any idea what's going on. Tracy walks in. He looks at, looks at this really vague, cryptic threat on the wall, instantly knows who who's behind it all. And he's ready to go.
1: And I ju- I just want to point out again just how beautiful this sort of techni technicolor kaleidoscope of Power Ranger police officers <laughs> we get is. You have like a blue a blue detective in a big blue trench coat, an orange detective in a big orange trench coat. Obviously, we have Pat Patton and Sam Catchem, both characters from the Dick Tracy comic strip. I-, I keep calling it a comic strip because I assume that Dick Tracy is more known for newspaper strips as opposed to comic book anyway yeah, come sure. point is the dead. detectives mm-hmm. all are different colours uh, we get Pat Patton Sam Catchum. We get a couple of unnamed extra police officers and then we get Chief Brandon. I want to talk a little bit about
0: these three men for now. Same. And and we can really kind of break down what happens in this scene as well because there's a lot of interesting kind of beats that we've just kind of blown by. Like one of them, the three men, Sam, Tracy, and Pat. Sam's wearing a red coat. Pat's wearing a green coat. Tracy's wearing a yellow coat. And the barrels all around them are those exact same. It's red, green, and yellow barrels. And we already saw those barrels in the previous scene. But it's pretty cool. Now they're the same color, but we've introduced three guys wearing the same colors. And it's, it's a nice little sort of payoff to uh, the tableau there.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to that thing where, like, allegedly there's only four colours in the whole film. Now, I don't know if that's literally true. I think it's just that the same four colours appear most of the time throughout the film.
0: What I think it is, is, like, we'll see in this minute for sure. There's more than just four colours. Like, later on we'll see that for sure. But I think it is just that every colour, there's only one shade of that colour. There's the same green on the, like, Pat's coat is the same colour green as the barrel's. Same with all three of them yes that makes sense so this is our first time getting like it's tracy 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 all three men talking about tracy and and sam Catchum is the one who really kind of we really get a good look at him in this one
1: yes he is played by veteran character actor seymour casserly he does something that i really really casserly. admired here casserly yes or c-a-s-s-e-r-l-e-y um, i thought it was just Seymour you know, Casserly Oh, maybe it is Seymour Castle. Maybe I was yeah, it's, yeah, it's to just Seymour that. Castle.
0: Yeah. Casserly. Uh,
1: Casserly. Why did <laughs> I get Casserly? A <laughs> it's nearly dinner time for you, Rob. Seymour <laughs> Castle. Sorry, you're absolutely right. Why have I written Seymour Disgrace. Castle? Anyway, um, I just wanted to point out one really interesting thing he did. It's a real mm. character actor, kind of, I'm only going to get a couple of lines in this movie, might as well make them count kind of thing. He puts a cigarette in his mouth. Yes. And he says the line about, um, oh, uh, they, they were all unidentified. They left the money on the ground. And then he flicks the <laughs> cigarette around with just his mouth. I just thought, that's a cool little maneuver. And like the camera is focused on Warren Beatty as he's doing it. So you only kind of see it if you're watching the movie like we are, like with a fine tooth comb. But I just remember thinking, this is a guy who never gets his moment in the sun. <laughs> and God damn it, if he's If he's standing like... You know, to the left of the the hero of the scene, he's gonna, he's still gonna be noticed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I just thought it was a a fun little thing. For sure, this is the first time I've ever noticed him firing up a cigarette in this scene. It's it really jumps out now because cigarette smoking in movies has has <laughs> has like been so sanitized and stripped out and stuff. You never see anybody smoking in in most movies these days, let alone like a, a family film like this um whereas a in disney the early 90s movie, remember yeah big time full-blown disney so it, it is it's interesting people make the comparison to the simpsons like you watch the simpsons now and it's one of the the cigarette smokingest shows probably ever there's a shocking amount of character smoking in almost every episode of the simpsons and this kind of strikes me as that same you made the comparison once for who framed roger rabbit another great movie around this time that was sort of the last hurrah for, for like the, the classic golden age cartoon characters getting to smoke and drink and stuff on screen. A lot of that same energy here.
1: Yeah, and I remember when uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, was coming out. A lot of people were going, "Oh, like I guarantee there isn't going to be any," you know, uh, like obviously there's going to be Nazis in this movie, and the Nazis aren't even going to smoke because people aren't allowed to smoke in movies anymore. <laughs> and it was true; there was no smoking in that movie at all, which is kind of odd. I
0: think you do get the Red Skull uh smoking in the in the scene where he gets his portrait painted. Interesting, but. Yeah, like like Cap and Bucky and the Howling Commandos, they'd all be smoking in the 40s, and and they're not because it's Disney, but and we'll we'll leave that to the Captain America Minute boys. Uh, so Seymour Cassell.
1: Yeah, so very quickly, he, he played a lieutenant commander in an episode of Star Trek Next Generation. That's fine. He was in a bunch of stuff. He played a henchman named Cancel. Yes. In, in the Batman show in 1966, which I thought was really, really fun. You can't even play a henchman um, that was in an old the...
0: Batman show right now without being cancelled <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: that's my uh, mumbles laugh for <laughs> later on in the movie I also noticed I, you know he's been in a bunch of stuff he's been on all your police procedurals anything you can think of this guy's you know probably done a bit part in it what really stood out to me from his IMDb was a film he appeared in 1998 called Relax It's Just Sex <laughs> Which uh, I thought is the most 1998-sounding, titillating title for a movie I've ever heard.
0: That's true. That's not at all the one I thought you were going to point out. I had a look at his IMDb as well. Because, yeah, like you said, all the old typical stuff. Westerns, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, oh, M.A.S.H. Um, he was in The Killers, which is like a Western classic. And then he was in the series of like really old-timey-sounding movies, such as Too Late Blues. The Last Tycoon, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Oh, Jesus Christ. And a film simply called (laughs) Mobsters. So those are all interesting. But then he was in a Greek drama entitled Slaughter of the Cock. Oh, dear. So hopefully they all got to see more of Cassell in that film. Dick Tracy, Slaughter of the Cock. (laughs) That's the porn parody title. Big time. He was uh he was like working right up to the end. He only passed away April seventh, twenty nineteen, age eighty four. But he was a big um he was a big Wes Anderson guy earlier. He was in Rushmore Royal Ten Bombs, Life Aquatic, and he was in uh, an episode of a Tracy Ullman show called Tracy Takes On. Oh playing a character named Candy Casino. So pretty funny that he played such a Tracy S character in something with Tracy in the title. That's what we're all about here on this minute.
1: We also have a another veteran uh, another veteran character actor Charles Durning Playing Chief Brandon. Oh, of course. One of the, I would say, more forgettable roles in the movie. Uh, not unlike Commissioner Gordon or Commissioner Wainwright in The mm-hmm. Shadow, uh, which came out. Well, actually, sorry. Commissioner Wainwright was fairly memorable in The Shadow. But Uncle Wainwright. Chief Brandon doesn't have a huge amount to do in this movie, but I just wanted to mention Charles Derny because he has an interesting career. He was in Dog Day
0: Afternoon. Big time. He's amazing in Dog Day Afternoon.
1: Very, very good in that. I've only seen it once, but he's very, very good. Very, very memorable. Big role in that.
0: Negotiating with Pacino. Big boy Caprice himself. With Pacino.
1: Another movie he was in Pacino with in a much, much smaller, but very, very significant and memorable role. He was in Scarface. As the immigration officer.
0: Ah, okay. Interesting. Do you
1: remember? You know, I've never seen Scarface. You've never seen? Oh, fuck. It's all coming out now. Sorry, we're not allowed to curse on this. This is a family podcast. Um,
0: We're going to lose that Kellogg's pet money. Brian De Palma's most obscure film, Phantom of the Paradise, is one of my top ten favourite movies of all time, and I've never seen Scarface. Well, Parker.
1: Get a load. There is a line in Scarface that they had to change for the infamous TV edit of the movie. Really? I'm not going to say the obscene line. I'm going to say the TV edited line. Mm -hmm. Okay? The TV edited line is as such, Al Pacino, Tony Montana. He's sitting in front of two immigration officers. One of the immigration officers presses their fingers up to his scar and says, where'd you get that scar, tough guy? Eating pineapple. Okay. That's the TV edited line. Okay. The person who says- Is Chief Brandon the setup? The person who says, where'd you get that scar, tough guy? Eating pineapple. is none other than veteran character actor- Charles
0: Derning. Today I learned. That's great. That's I, his legacy. I, I, I had
1: to go back and watch the clip on YouTube, and it's 100% definitely him. Now, he's only credited as voicing that line, but when you listen to the voice, you're like, oh, that's definitely him. He speaks. Does he say it in a big hoity toity Irish accent? <laughs> he does not say it in a big hoity toity Irish accent. He says it in his actual American accent. And that brings me to my next point. <laughs> Charles Durning, I'm sure you're a nice guy, but for fuck's sake, just hire an Irish actor to play these Irish cop roles. Jesus. Sorry. Durning Parker's was on the set. He's, he's
0: a Pacino favorite.
1: <laughs> Parker's going to have a tough job editing out all my swearing this week. But uh, yeah, that that was really exciting, finding that out.
0: Amazing. So Durning was facing off with Pacino left and right, apparently. Uh, <laughs> getting Getting back to the message shot into the wall for a sec, though um eat lead tracy is you know it's old-fashioned it's provocative but my question is would it have maybe been more provocative if flat top had say shot the words false god into a giant poster or statue oh, of dick tracy <laughs> oh, 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 oh now there's a vision <laughs> that's the kind of uh you know highbrow criminal call-out I like to see in my comic book movies. I don't know about you, Rob. I don't know how you feel about uh, the films of Zack Snyder. but
1: What I really like about this Dick Tracy movie is he just gets straight into the (laughs) badass action. We see, this ain't your mama's Dick Tracy. This is a badass Dick Tracy (laughs) who fights on the streets... You know, and we we don't waste time like, uh, you know, those those old crappy Dick Tracy movies that your granddad used to watch. They'd spend 15 minutes, you know, just setting up why the city loves Dick Tracy and why he's such a hero and why he's so beloved. This doesn't do any of that. This just cuts into the badassery and uh, sorry, I'm I'm being really facetious right now. Um, If you're still listening. Uh, I I, I just want to... We we do cut back to the opera at this stage. And I really like this. I've watched this movie Ah. a thousand times. Sorry, go ahead, Parker. Nope. Right right there with you. I have watched this movie a thousand times. I've never noticed before. The colors actually change for this reprise that we see. So earlier when he was watching the the opera with Tess and he had to get up and leave, it was kind of a soft kind of orangey glow. Now it's a very kind of harsh, cold blue look in the opera. Yes. Which I thought was really the nice. The sun has
0: set, I believe.
1: The sun has set, and you know the 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 the. Well, oh, I, I don't know how you'd phrase it. What well, whatever octave the uh, soprano is singing in has has gotten higher, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just 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 really really nice. And the moustachioed man is back, and he's glaring at Dick Tracy again.
0: And it's it's funny too because the tw- the fact that it was sunset in the opera when Tracy left, and now it's twilight implies that oh man has he been gone for a while and missed a lot of the show but they're singing the same song
1: i was so i was thinking i was thinking exactly that and i was also thinking mm-hmm. i mean how short could his visit have been like five men are dead like are we to believe that he he was there <laughs> and he was like okay guys i'm just stopping by okay oh eat that tracy hey he, saw, boy, he the solved priest. the
0: crime real quick
1: and then and then he just left and he's like you know i'm gonna go back to the opera. no like he must have been there for at least an hour
0: it could it could be that they're doing a reprise or reprise of yeah. the same song in the opera in a later scene. But, but uh Tess is certainly going to see him come back.
1: Yeah, I mean th- they could be doing a reprise, but even still like he he would have had to have been gone for at least an hour to have left the opera, gotten in a car, gotten to the crime scene, examined five dead men and then left. Like he could
0: only uh, like Sherlock Holmes would have to be there for an hour. Like I don't know. <laughs> I just I just thought it was interesting. I mean operas are really long, so hopefully uh he didn't miss too much of the show, but definitely glad that he's back. I totally agree.
1: So they they we then see them leaving the opera mm-hmm. and uh again lots going on, lots of background actors, other patrons leaving the opera and we see these reporters uh Bert and Charles mm-hmm. asking Tracy a barrage of questions. Uh, they both have little press cards in their fedora hats, which I Love loved as a kid. I'm sure you've got a lot to say. I just want to point out very quickly Charlie, the reporter Charlie, is played by actor John Shuck. John Shuck. John Shuck. Couldn't give a shuck. <laughs> this uh, actor, John Shuck, I never knew this before. I looked him up on IMDb.com. He played a Klingon ambassador mm-hmm. in Star Trek 4 and Star Trek 6. Mm-hmm. So there's a Klingon ambassador in. In Star Trek 4, who uh, lambastes Captain Kirk for stealing the Klingon uh, Bird of Prey. And then he comes back again in Star Trek 6 and he, does, he, he gives out a bit Starfleet. Or I think he's the Klingon. Uh, oh, yeah, no, he's still the Klingon ambassador. Uh, sorry. Anyway, both good Star Trek movies. Check them out. He's great in both of them. I've never noticed before that it was him. That's fun.
0: It's a barrel of fun. It looks like he's in every subsequent Star Trek show as well, just as, as different yes. characters in each one. Yeah, they're um, they're
1: good at they're good at that in Star Trek. When they when they meet a character actor they like, they tend to use him a lot as different sort of aliens for the different shows.
0: And per him being cast as a Klingon, uh, I really enjoyed that his IMDB, uh, like biography section at the beginning describes him as lumbering, oval faced John Shuck. Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's about right. Like, yeah. I do you think that's if if he had gone bad instead of becoming Charlie like if Charlie had become A criminal instead of a reporter do you think he'd go by oval face oval
1: face yeah i like that like like kind of hey arnold's illegitimate granddad or sorry hey arnold's granddad was in the maybe hey arnold's granddad was a crime boss in the in the 30s now there's something there's a prequel for you (laughs) oval face
0: you know what's funny too about them finding they find these five guys no ID on them they don't know who they are right they could just kind of look around and look at the distinguishing features of each guy and make up a name on the spot and it would be the right name, you know. Yeah. It looks like look at this show okay. It's 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 almost like Tracy Tracy could do the Michael Scott m- uh, mnemonic device thing for naming people <laughs> beardo, glasses, shirty, all that. Right? Shoulders. at <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Uh shoulders, little face. Uh <laughs> I call him <it> little <laughs> face like because a his face is is big, not little, you know.
1: I don't know. Uh, I no, I totally agree. It's an effective technique. Very, very nice.
0: Oh, and also, John Sh- John Shuck, good old tough guy actor John Shuck. Uh, he played the Frankenstein monster in a TV special called "The Halloween That Almost Wasn't." I like the sound of that. I um. Could, hopefully, I could definitely see that. He his his lower
1: the lower part of his face reminds me a lot of Lon Chaney Jr. Actually, so that makes
0: sense. Well, not only that, but. A couple decades later, he full-blown played the Frankenstein-esque Herman Munster in the Munster's revival in the late 80s called The Munster's Today. Wow. Yeah.
1: Um, mm. it's, it's funny that you just mentioned a, a, Mon- a Munster's revival because I read this morning that there's, they're, they're doing a reboot of The Munster's. Ah. And Rob Zombie is going to be directing us.
0: Well, that sounds like a match made in monster movie heaven, if you ask me. I think, you know what? I'm a little bit more interested in the idea of a Rob Zombie Monsters project than I am in Tim Burton doing The Addams Family. I love The Addams yeah. Family. I, I love old school Burton. It seems a little on the nose. I don't know if there's going to be anything new that he can draw out of that in twenty twenty uh, or twenty twenty one or whenever this project will land. But Rob Zombie doing the mon- the monsters,
1: <laughs> just like stay Herman tuned, Monster, like literally getting abused on camera by his you know alcoholic. <laughs> father so, so i'm not i'm genuinely not joking like th- these are
0: things that you see in the halloween reboot that the monsters they'll have the instead of the live laugh love sign on their living room wall they'll have live through the ditches and love through the witches <laughs> ah, and <price. laughs> the... um so yeah and uh, and john shuck's still with us today still still working doing lots of tv movies and stuff god bless him the other reporter bert who uh, who looks a little bit like a character from our favorite comic strip, Pants Pants.
1: <laughs> yes. He's
0: got these glasses. Uh, he's got this... He's wearing... He's got a big, prominent, hooked fake nose. He does indeed. And this reminds me big, of yeah. a point... Yeah. So mm. obviously, last week I
1: made the point that most of the quote-unquote good guys in this movie don't have prosthetics. This guy, I would say, you know, freedom of the press. He's a journalist. Dick Tracy has him on a first-name basis. I'd call him a good guy. Mm. Uh he's a little bit antagonistic in in the sense that he's annoying Dick Tracy but like you know he's doing his job um but yeah he very much has the prosthesis I can't think of any other good guys in the movie that do so that's significant And it could
0: be like maybe it's sort of thing cuz he's a reporter it's like he's nosy so the feature still kind of ah. fits the guy but uh yeah interesting touch I've been I've been racking my brain trying to think of any other good guy characters uh that have any of the sort of Dick Tracy bad guy makeup The only one I can think of in this film is Bug Bailey. And he's got the big fake ears because he's a surveillance nut.
1: Are you quite quite sure that those aren't just Michael Pollard's ears?
0: uh, Apologies to Michael Pollard, if so. But I feel (laughs) like they're fake prosthetics. It could just be the good old Academy Award winner Michael Pollard... Has big ears when he's got the really short... He's usually got longer hair. I can't wait to talk about Michael Pollard. We'll have to figure that out, but yeah. We've so much to say when we got to Michael Pollard. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Another Warren Beatty veteran. But uh, yeah, Bert's played by... Alan Garfield, another, like, TV movie character actor. Alan Garfield, real name Alan Gorwitz, by the way. Interesting. So, and he's been in, like, same sort of tons and tons of old TV and movies and stuff. He was in uh, The Conversation, Gene Hackman, big classic. Um, He was in a TV show called The Boys in 1990, presumably not about a bunch of renegade superheroes. He retired from acting in 2002, but he passed away... Uh, April 7th, 2020. And wow. this is significant as well because Seymour Cassell passed away April 7th, 2019. Interesting. So two of the actors in this minute, year apart to the day, the things you learn when you're watching a movie a minute at a time and parsing every little thing.
1: Well, Parker, you know, we've seen... We've probably seen more actors in this minute than we've seen thus far in, in the whole film.
0: Plenty more where that
1: came from. Uh, and there's so, there's so much... You know, really high quality, high caliber acting going on. We've got some great character actors. Warren Beatty himself, Hollywood legend. My favorite actor, bar none, in this minute is the box office attendant.
0: Yes. Watch. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> this guy has given it all. He's given it He's first. never seen anything like this, this media circus that's <laughs> He's around Tracy. Just- He's played by this
1: elderly gentleman. He's got to be seventy if he's not a day older. And he's shaking his head. He's looking up and down. He's looking at Dick Tracy. He's watched him go. You know, he's going. Oh, I've never seen the darnest <laughs> thing I've seen in my life. I'm just like. He looks so disgusted with Dick Tracy. I'm like, surely this is a great day at the office. You get to see this.
0: <laughs> I'm here to run the ticket booth, not the three ring circus. Uh, yeah.
1: He looks so disgruntled. It's so funny.
0: <laughs> I've never noticed him yeah, before. Yeah, really nice touch. That's, that's a great <laughs> no small parts moment, that yeah. guy. Uh, God knows how many times they did that take, and he's got to look flummoxed each oh. and every time. And watch watching those flash bulbs go off three feet from the glass booth. Maybe that's what yeah. it is. Maybe he's irritated by the flash bulbs, and he's trying to convey. <laughs> Maybe he's blind at this point. <laughs> can't he can't look. see a thing; just a big white spot,
1: and is just waving his head trying to see. Ugh. How am I supposed to tell what how many dollars worth I'm being given here?
0: Uh... <laughs> how many nickels? um so yeah tracy and tess oh uh there's a nice line here uh tess turns and says to one of the reporters like i want a copy of that shot right because the idea of of tracy and tess is this kind of like glamorous socialite couple and he's a celebrity cop i always love the idea of that it's just so old-fashioned and wholesome and you know in this colorful fictional world uh anyway
1: yeah we we should mention actually sorry um you know, we, we've described the scene so well. So the, the they come out of the opera, the reporters establish the fact that um, Big Boy, you know, bit, Tracy still can't get anything on Big Boy. He, they're, they're throwing him all these questions. What are you going to do about Big Boy? Are you going to, are you going to, the rumors are you're going to become the new chief of police? Tracy says, oh, we've already got a great chief of police. Why don't you shave off that silly mustache? Love that line. Um, (laughs) so, So we learn all these things about Tracy that, you know, he's frustrated. He's on this case against Big Boy for a while. He hasn't got anything on him. They're trying to promote him and he keeps refusing. And then Tess says, oh, you know, everyone thinks that you'd be a great chief of police. And then he says, oh, Big Boy's on the street and they want to stick me behind a desk. Like, there's so much information we're getting in just such a short little scene. Mm-hmm. And that, Good way
0: to do it, too, yeah, with the reporters.
1: That That, that is the final line of the minute. I it, it was the first time watching it for me, though, where I was kind of going, well, actually, yeah. Like, I mean, the whole reason he can't get anything on Dick Tra- on Big Boy is because of all this police bureaucracy and the... Uh, District Attorney Fletcher and all this—like, surely him being mm-hmm. in in more of an administrative role would mean that he would have a stronger case against Big Boy.
0: Yeah, but then the cops on the street would probably bungle it, and he's stuck behind a desk. Yeah, maybe. No, I, I I don't. <laughs>
1: I am I'm, no, I'm a lot it's... less uh I'm I'm a lot less pro cop this time <laughs> around watching Dick Tracy than I would have traditionally been so uh that probably it, you would, know, yeah. it will color the movie for me a little bit not that I don't love it
0: This that is a really good point that does need to be addressed uh, at least once in this podcast and probably not not for the last time but uh it is interesting how like Having like this much longer sort of term perspective on cops not always being the heroes, a lot of the stuff that Tracy does in this film, he never really goes too far outside the law. But uh, and and he's just, he's a good cop in a fantasy world of mostly good cops and some bad corrupt ones, and I think. Uh, in a lot of ways that that makes the film, you know, dated and unrealistic and folksy, but in a lot of ways it also just I think kind of deepens the, the nostalgia and appeal of it. Like what if it was just as simple as, as cops yeah. and robbers and, and instead of a movie star being the hottest celebrity in town, it's this hero cop who's putting his life on the line and yeah.
1: I would argue that we do see him, you know, pushing things too far fair bit not too much but here and there we definitely see but but we can get to that when when we come to it definitely thus far he's been he's been very upstanding as uh, as police officers go one thing i wanted to say just before oh no no that's next week no nope, never mind and
0: yeah and when when tracy and tess leave the media frenzy outside uh of the movies here and they round the corner it's an instant switch uh to the sort of like softer focus immediately it's got that really gauzy kind of Casablanca look to it which is nice. Very very nice. It's just Tracy and Tess now and it's really romantic looking and while they're talking uh, the first few bars of Sooner or Later just the piano (laughs) part. Cue in the background just great romantic shot and you're just intimately with this couple now who've escaped all the craziness of the, the cops and reporters pulling them apart She's coming Parker. She's coming Tess, Trueheart will be getting a big spotlight soon Oh, I'm not talking about Tess Trueheart. Oh, huh? Interesting. Yes, it's it's, it's like their other leading lady will be.
1: It's it's like fanfare for Madonna's arrival. Like the the, the just the True, opening yeah. bars of this song. It's like we've seen all this action. We've seen all this preamble. Now we're here for the main event. This is Madonna's movie, baby. It's not actually Madonna's movie, but but this scene would lead you <laughs> to believe that it was.
0: Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, we got some we got some great stuff with the Queen of Pop coming up. It is hard to cut this minute off right here it's tortuous yeah it's gonna go straight into a really interesting one but that is the exact moment the minute ends big boys on the street and they want to stick me behind a desk so that's it and that takes us straight to the highlight reel
1: and now boys and girls the zip and super delicious taste of crackly flakes presents the dick tracy minute highlights
0: all right rob do you have any highlight for us this week the highlight for
1: me, as I said, we saw like that there's so many it it's I can't believe how much they crammed into sixty seconds of cinema, you know that there's so many different scenes, so many colors, so many props, so many cool bits of production design, so many great actors in this minute, but I have to hand it once again to that just. Diligent cinema clerk. Every time I watch this movie, I'm or not the cinema clerk, the box office clerk. <laughs> I'm only ever going to see him in this scene from now on. He's just given it all. He's milking his one scene <laughs> in this movie, shaking his head like he's never seen such a despicable display of detective uh, dicking. So <laughs> I'm just I. I my hat's off to that man. I'm sure he's no longer with us. He looks older than time already in this movie. But may God bless him. And I I hope somewhere he's he's looking down, listening to this podcast about a movie he was in <laughs> thirty one
0: years ago. Finally getting his due. Shaking his head in disgust. And the the thing is, like this minute, obviously, with so many actors in it, like a lot of them have passed on. Sam Catchem, the guy who plays Bert the reporter, and Glenn Headley herself, Glenn uh, Tess Truart. Yeah, it's it's showing how this movie is like. This movie's thirty years old now, and uh, yeah, it is too bad that a lot of the cast members we'll be talking about are no, are no longer uh, with us. But a lot of them still are. But yeah, good pick. Uh, I I was for sure initially just gonna say Tracy stepping out of the black and white, and us seeing the full coat. And you do get a really nice blast of the Dick Tracy theme right when he steps out as well. And then lots of da 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 for the the rest of the sort of crime scene breakdown. My favorite thing about The Minute, though, for real, is right when they're leaving the theater, that kind of struck me as the moment where you really sort of see what the whole film is going to look like. Everything up to this point has been like, the Industrial stuff and the um, like the docks and the angry fire engine reds and the smokestacks and all that stuff. Tracy walking into the crowd of reporters, you've got like uh, the orange and the green coats, you're seeing those colors, uh, or like Bert's wearing kind of like a turquoise, and it's just this whole crowd of people that they're all you got this whole like just candy colored rainbow coats, and it's reporters and flash bulbs and fedoras and that's like sort of the established or like the i don't know the codifying shot of the whole film in a way that i hadn't really picked up on before but i think subconsciously every time that's where it's just like ah yeah we're deep in dick tracy now we're deep dicking it now uh uh well pretty good stuff uh coming up next episode we'll hear where the rest of that tune goes as we uh zip our way across town over into the club ritz i'm really excited for that can't wait we'll be on our way